good to see everyone here. My name is Danny Evans, and I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church, and it's my privilege to talk today about heaven. We're in a three-part series about heaven, and last week started off that series talking about the present heaven, or where we go when we die, or immediately after we die, where do we go? And last week I talked about a couple things in particular. There is going to be physical attributes we have in the present heaven, that we will have a physical body in the present heaven. We saw in Luke chapter 16 and in Revelation just a lot of indication of those attributes that we'll have in heaven that are going to be very similar to earth, and that earth is really a foreshadowing of what heaven will be like. And then we went on to look at the continuity there's going to be between our life here on this earth and that which will happen in heaven. And that we look in Revelation how the martyrs, they knew what was going on down on earth. They saw the events. They understood what was going on on earth. And that the rich man in Luke chapter 16, he remembered his life on earth. And he remembered his five brothers were still on earth. And he wanted to go back and tell them to repent because of how bad hell was. I kind of apologize for last week because I've been reading a book by Randy Alcorn and it's like 450 pages long and I had written an eight page message about the present heaven. And so Saturday night I practiced it and I delivered it and it was over an hour long and I like, oh my gosh, I can't give an hour long message. So in a panic, Sunday morning I hacked it all up and tried to pare it down as much as I could. And then for some reason on Sunday, when I delivered, it was like 30, 35 minutes. So I apologize for kind of over-hacking that. But if you have time for your own study, I recommend this book by Randy Alcorn. It's just fascinating. And it's got a lot of deep truths about heaven for you to think about. And, And look at all the amazing verses, you know, in Luke chapter 16. Take a look at that story about the rich man and Lazarus, and then all the way through um, Revelation. Many of us don't even want to touch Revelation because it, oh, it's so difficult. It's a prophetic book, and it's so much figurative language. But if you really just read it through, it's not that difficult a book, and it gives us a lot of neat glimpses of what heaven will be like, especially even the present heaven. So why did I talk about the present heaven first? Well, the reason why, and the reason why I talked about that, uh, the physical attributes that we'll have and the continuity with our life on earth is because our life on earth matters to God. It matters extremely. It's very important to God in that He doesn't want us like the church in Thessalonica. Paul admonished that church because they didn't have that thinking. They thought, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, this life on earth really doesn't matter. And so they spent a lot of their time idle, you know, mooching off of people and not working for the kingdom at all. And so Paul admonished them, he said, stand firm in the faith, you know, obey the commandments, labor and toil for the sake of the gospel. Do all that you can for Christ right now. And you think about it, this is it for evangelism. This is our only shot of evangelism. Because once we go to the other side of eternity, it's all over. There is a chasm between heaven and hell, as we saw in Luke chapter 16. And that only grows when it goes to the new heaven and the new earth. There is no more evangelism after this life. 
And so we need to continue to labor and toil for the sake of the gospel. We need to continually pray for and love our neighbors, our friends and relatives that don't know Jesus. And that's really the point of it, is that our life here matters, and it's going to be carried on into heaven. And it's going to be carried to the present heaven, and we'll see it will be carried on into the new heaven and the new earth. And so it matters. So a question we're going to look at today, and we looked at a little last week, is what shapes your vision of heaven? What shapes your vision of heaven? And last week I showed the Barbara Walters special on heaven, and that shapes a lot of Americans' vision of heaven, is the media has a lot of control of what they think heaven is like. And so even for us as Christians, I know my view of heaven was shaped a lot by my mentors or people I respected. Even other pastors or my parents and grandparents. What other people I respected, I would listen to what they say about heaven and that would shape my view of heaven. And a lot of times that was incorrect. There were some misconceptions there from that vision of heaven. And so our culture and our media and people around us too much shape our vision of heaven and not God's truth and not the Bible. And so that's what I'd like to do over these next three weeks is have our vision of heaven shaped by God's word. In his truth. There was a poll in 1997 by Time magazine that polled Americans about the resurrection and said that of Americans who believe in resurrection of the dead, two-thirds believe they will not have a body. Two-thirds believe they would not have a body after the resurrection. They wouldn't have a resurrected body. This is self-contradictory. A non-physical resurrection really is like a sunless sunrise. It doesn't make sense. There's no such thing. Resurrection means that we will have bodies. That's the definition of resurrection. Our body will go with it. If we didn't have bodies, we would not be resurrected. Paul is dealing with this same issue here with the church in Corinth. And we're going to get back into 1 Corinthians 15 today. Many of these Corinthians had a wrong view of heaven and what it would be like, and their view was shaped entirely by their culture, the Greek culture and Greek philosophy, and not by truth. Chris talked about this in his messages, the importance of the resurrection, and he talked about the danger and the error of the influence they had from the Greek philosophy, from their culture, and he addressed that with the church in Corinth. So today, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 49 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, the church in Corinth believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. They believed that Jesus was resurrected, but they did not believe in what was called general resurrection. They did not believe that all believers would be resurrected. That was from the influences Chris had talked about of the culture, about from Gnosticism and from dualism and, and the other Greek philosophies that they were influenced by. So today we're going to look at basically three questions, and they stem right out of verse 35, the first verse we're going to talk about. And these three questions are, how are the dead raised? How is that possible? So we're going to address general resurrection. How is that possible? The next thing we're going to talk about is, what will our resurrected body be like? So we'll look at that today. And then finally, and most importantly, how can I get one? How can I get a resurrected body? So if you would, pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for a resurrected body. 
that we will be able to exchange this deteriorating, run-down carcass, if you will, for a brand new body one day. And, and you will resurrect it, you will glorify it, you will make it exactly the way you designed us to be, without sin and without barrier between us and you, so that we can worship you the way we are designed to, that we can live and be in your image and exactly who you want us to be. And Lord, teach us today and uh, encourage us by heaven. It's such an encouraging thing to talk about, and I thank you for the uh, opportunity to talk about it. And Lord, I just pray that I could speak your word clearly and that we could all be encouraged and, and convicted and change to to set our mind on things above and not on this earth, not be entangled by the things of this world and be bogged down and be dragged down. We can lift our chins every day. Anytime we feel overburdened or troubled by this world, we could lift up and look to the skies and think about heaven and think about how wonderful it will be to be with you intimately in a resurrected body, one that was designed and created for us individually and uniquely. So I pray that you would be here today. Your spirit would speak to us. You would speak into our hearts. And that those that maybe don't know you could could come today to know you genuinely. And could know what it's like to experience heaven on earth by having the Holy Spirit in their life too. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Verse 35. So turn with me to verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. It starts off by saying, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So Paul starts off this section with these two questions. And then he spends really the next 14 verses, if you will, answering these questions. So we'll see from the beginning, from verse 36, that Paul has some righteous anger, right? By calling the Corinthians at asking these Corinthians are basically asking these questions and Paul knows these people he knows their heart and he knows their know-it-all attitude they really don't want to know the answers to these questions because they know it all they're they're Greek right they got their philosophy they got their knowledge that's big time to them they have this know-it-all attitude they're, they're asking these questions but they already know the answer and so he has some righteous anger at him right away and in verse 36 he says you fool Right? He's going after him. He's saying, you fool. But it's in a loving way. And then he goes on to just spell it out in clear detail. And he uses awesome illustrations that they can understand from the world they live in. And he starts off right away with the illustration of the seeds. Okay. Now remember, the, this culture, they, they're getting this input from their culture that they had thought that everything material was bad. And everything spiritual was good. And so they thought when they went to heaven, they're not going to have a body because they despised it. Right? And when they get to heaven, they'll be thankful. They get rid of this horrid body and they will be a spirit in heaven. And so Paul goes through and uses a lot of analogies here to things that we can understand. And they're from science that they could really understand in their world to say that's not the case. And first of all, he'll start off with the seed. So look at verses 36 through 38. He says, That which you sow does not come to life until it dies. 
And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of, of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. So this, right, is a common illustration we see throughout the Bible. Jesus likes to use it frequently about the seed and growing and plants. This time is used as an illustration, though, of death, the death of the earthly body and the new life of the resurrected body. I think it's just so amazing when you look at seeds. I pulled out some seeds this week, and you look at a sunflower seed, a little tiny sunflower seed. You put that in the ground, and you get this enormous sunflower plant. I mean, they're gigantic, and they just grow like weeds from this little tiny seed. And there's also the analogy that Christ uses about the mustard seed. If you look at mustard seeds, they are so tiny, yet they grow these giant big bush trees from these mustard seeds that are just so small. It's just so amazing that these little tiny seeds have all the genetic information they need to make these large plants, which is just so fascinating. And that's what Paul is using here. He's using that analogy of that seed that dies and has to be buried in the ground so it can produce this wonderful plant. And that's the same with our bodies. Jesus talked about this about himself in John chapter 12. Look at John chapter 12, verses 23 through 36. In John chapter 12, verse 23 through 36, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life will keep it eternally. So the seed dies, it's buried in the ground, then it's watered, and nutrients come in and make it alive. Same thing was true for Christ. For Christ to be resurrected, he had to die. He had to be buried so that he could come back to life on the third day. So his earthly body was buried in a tomb so that it could become a glorified body. The same is true with growing plants. When a seed dies, it produces yet a future crop. The same is true for us. We must first die. As that verse says, we must first die to ourselves. The analogy here from John chapter 12 is that we need to die to ourselves and that our earthly body must die to become and get a resurrected body. Um, Can you imagine life beyond the here and now? Jesus could, and so he pointed us to that. He always talked about looking towards heaven. He told us in Matthew chapter 6 to store up our treasures in heaven and not to be storing up things here on earth. And we also see from verses 37 and 38 that there is a continuity between our old life and our new life. I talked about this last week with the present heaven. So when you plant a grain of wheat, what do you get? You get a wheat plant, right? A wheat plant will grow. The same thing is true with our bodies. Our earthly bodies will die, will be buried in the ground, but will be resurrected into a body similar to our own body. We'll take that with us. Just like you think about the tulip bulb. 
You have an ugly old tulip bulb. Those things are ugly looking, but you put them in the ground, and what do they produce? They produce a beautiful flower. But they have that genetics in the bulb or in the seed to, to tell it what it's going to look like. So there's that continuity between what is in the old and what is in the new. And uh, see this from Jesus, too, that many of the disciples, right, they didn't recognize Jesus because you've got to remember what they saw right before he died. They saw him on the cross. They saw him bloodied. They saw him beaten. It wasn't good-looking sight. It was an ugly seed. But that ugly seed got buried into the ground, buried, and rose up a glorified, beautiful body. And so there will be continuity, and we'll talk about this a little more, between our old life and the new because of that genetics that we, we transfer over from the old to the new. The next question that Paul addresses in verses 39 through 44 is, what will it be like? What kind of body will we have? What will our resurrected body be like? So let's look at verses 39 through 41. 39 through 41. All flesh is not the same, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So let's look at verse 39. Verse 39, he transfers from talking about plant science now to talking in the animal sciences to better clarify what our heavenly body will be like, what type of body will be like. So Paul now is reinforcing the character of God really as creator. He's reinforcing that God created all these animals and he created them all uniquely and differently. He created the animals. He created the birds. He created the fish in the sea. He created all of them. And so he is bringing God's character as creator to point. He's basically saying that if God can create these things, he can surely create a resurrected body. And then verses 40 through 41, now he moves from the animal sciences to the science of space or astrology. And he now looks at the sun, moon, and the stars. And he once again amplifies God as creator. The God created the sun, moon, and the stars. You look into the heavens and they see the billions and billions of stars. And so he's saying God created all those. Can't he also create a resurrected body? He also looks at the point of the uniqueness. Resurrected bodies will differ from earthly bodies just as radically as heavenly bodies or the stars in the sky will, will be different from the earthly bodies like planets and the moon. And resurrected bodies will be as individual and unique as are all the other forms of God's creation. God uniquely created everything in the world and there are no two things alike. Right? It's just amazing how... They've looked at two snowflakes. No two snowflakes are exactly alike. Even in identical twins are not exactly alike. They are divinely coded with what's called DNA. And everyone's DNA is unique to many criminals' chagrin, right? That's how they're finding a lot of people guilty or getting them off from crimes that happened in the past is because of DNA. 
And everyone's DNA is absolutely unique. I have a friend of mine who's a PhD in microbiology. He's kind of interesting. He thinks and he postulates that when we become believers, when we become born again and have the Holy Spirit in us, that he thinks our DNA changes. And so he wants to do some research on how our DNA changes. I don't know if it does. That's beyond me. But he also thinks that we will take our DNA with us to heaven. And that could very possibly be true. I don't know how you're going to test that. But he thinks our individual uniqueness that's coded in our DNA will take with us up into heaven. Some people, though, they don't have that thinking. They don't think there's really going to be a continuity between our earthly bodies and our heavenly bodies. And, and they have a lot of good reasons for that. They, they believe that actually when we get to heaven, they'll get an entirely new body. And I had actually thought that for a while, too. Because if you think about it, what about people who are cremated and then they spread their ashes out in the ocean? I mean, their molecules are all over the earth, right? In years, they've traveled all over the earth. How is God going to reform those molecules and make a resurrected body? doesn't make sense. Or how about the people, you know, in 9-11 that blown up or burned and you don't even know where their body is? I mean, how is God going to do that? That just seems amazing to me that he can do those kind of things. Yet if a resurrection meant a creation of a new body, then Jesus' body would still be in the tomb. Right? He would still have a body in the tomb. But as we know, it wasn't. The body is gone. His body was raised up. So there is a continuity. Hank Hanegraaff says this. He says, There is a one-to-one correspondence between the body of Christ that died and the one that rose. And many of our uh, Christian doctrines have the same thing. They say that all the dead shall be, the Westminster Confession actually says that all the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies and none other. So these doctrines affirm the continuity between our earthly bodies and what we will have in heaven. Now let's move on to verses 42 through 44. And here we're going to look at Comparing and contrasting, I have a table that compares and contrasts our earthly bodies with the heavenly one. So let's look at that. Verse 42 says, It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised spiritual. Now, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So let's look at this here. Let's look at these comparing and contrasting of what Paul's doing between our earthly body and our resurrected body. First thing he talks about is perishable and imperishable. And this is really the theme of durability of our bodies. And this one is probably not hard to convince any of us that our bodies are perishable, right? Every time I know after I play basketball with the youth or uh, go work in my yard or do something physical, I get up the next morning and, oh, man, I am aching. I am aching for weeks sometimes. I know my body's perishing. And from biology, we know that right after you're born, our body is actually in decay. Now, for a long time, our body, the growth rate, luckily, is is going faster than the decay rate, and so we grow. 
But then, as we know, we hit a certain age, and it starts going backwards. And so my son asked me the other day, Hey, Dad, are you shrinking? <laughs> no, I'm not shrinking. Jeez, give me some time here, buddy. Because he's in a big competition to catch up to his dad and try to get taller than his dad. So he's hoping I'm shrinking and he's going up, so something else is going to catch me. So we are in decay. We are perishing. Our body is perishing. It's no longer going to be subject to decay and deterioration, though, after we die. It'll be imperishable bodies. It'll be the superman body. I mean, if you guys seen the movie Terminator, you've seen the movie Terminator where that guy, it goes along and he's indestructible, right? He's going off, going all over the place, and they shoot Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he collapses, lays on the ground for five seconds and he boom right back up and there he goes he's off and he's running well that's what our body our resurrected body will be like it'll be imperishable if we accidentally fall or something in the new earth I don't know if that's going to happen or what it'll be like but it won't die we will get injured or hurt and it won't die we will get right back up doesn't that blow you away isn't that just mind boggling to think about that it is imperishable. It would be like the Terminator body. So look forward to the Terminator body in heaven. Uh, the next thing he talks about is dishonor and glory. It will be sown in dishonor and it will be raised in glory. And this really is about value and potential. So because of the, the curse of sin, our potential for worshiping God is drastically reduced. Right? Our flesh so inhibits our relationship with God... It just drives me nuts. I'm I'm worshiping God and I'm feeling close to God and maybe in prayer or in song. And then all of a sudden, boom, all these terrible thoughts come in my mind because I'm just in a battle all the time. It'll be so awesome in heaven when we don't be in that battle, when we can worship God without that barrier of sin between us. And we can just have that intimate community with God. So God made us in His image, but because of sin, we now sow a life characterized by dishonor instead of glory. Peter recognized Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration, and they didn't even have their resurrected bodies yet. They had this glorified body. So when we go to heaven, we will exchange our perishable body for an imperishable body, and one of dishonor for one of glory. And we'll also exchange a weak body for one with power. Verse 43 says it will be sown in weakness and it will be raised in power. Now there are many people who believe they're strong at one point in their life. You probably have heard and read about all the stories about the strong men in this world and, and how strong they are and how powerful they are in this world. And I had read a story recently about a football player. And football players are known as being real strong. And put up the slide about this guy. His name is Iron Mike Webster. Do you guys, anyone know Iron Mike Webster? No Steelers fans here? Oh, there we go. There's one. Okay. Back in the day, he was the man. Iron Mike, he was the center for the Steelers. Um, he, was, he was like the stronghold of that whole team. He was the captain. He was the leader. He never missed a game. Didn't matter whether he was hurt. No matter what was happening to him, he was Iron Mike. He was solid. He was always in there, always in every game, taking the hits, taking the punishment, 
just trying to be the strong man, the invincible man. Well, Iron Mike died at the age of 50, and there's a story in uh, ESPN that wrote a story about him. It said, Mike Webster never made it to his son's 10th birthday party in Wisconsin. Lying in a dark room at the Budgetel Inn, some 20 minutes away in Madison, he was bed-bound in a haze of pain and narcotics, a bucket of vomit by his side. Webster often laced with varying numbing cocktails of medications, Ritalin, Dextrin to keep him calm, Palax to ease anxiety, Prozac to ward off depression, Copulin to prevent seizures, Vicodin, Altrum, Darvacet, Lorex in various combinations to subdue his general ache, and Ephedril commonly described to patients who suffer from Parkinson's disease. After 17 years in the NFL, Webster had lost any semblance of control over his once invincible body. His brain showed signs of dementia. His head throbbed constantly. He suffered from significant hearing loss. Three lumbar vertebrae and two cervix vertebrae ached from frayed and herniated discs. A chronically damaged right heel caused him to limp. His right shoulder was sore from a torn rotator cuff. His right elbow grew stiff from once being dislocated. His knees, the cartilage in all of them but gone, creaked from years of bone grinding against bone. His knuckles were scarred and swollen. His fingers bent, gruesomely wayward. Iron Mike Webster, a vision in our world of power, of invincibleness, who everyone looked up to. And then lended his last years of his life just deteriorating, just pathetic and sad, saddened life. But for Iron Mike or any of these invincible so-called football players that are powerful in, in our world's eyes, they can be raised in way more power if they just put their faith in Christ. Though they'll be sown in weakness. Mike Webster's body will be sown in weakness. If he would know Christ, it would be raised in power. So if you think Superman is powerful, wait for your resurrected body. It'll be a body of power. Look forward to that. Martin Luther said this. He said, as weak as our body is now, without all power and ability, when it lies in the grave, just so strong will it eventually become when the time arrives so that not a thing will be impossible for it. Now the last point we talk about is in verse 44, that which is sown in natural body will be raised spiritual. So just as a natural body is suited for the earth, so will our heavenly body be suited for heaven. Many people misinterpret this as the spiritual body to mean just a disembodied spirit. They say that will be sown as a natural body, will become a spirit. Well, that's not the case. Randy Alcorn points this out. He says that the word spiritual here is the adjective describing the body, not negating its meaning. A spiritual body is first and foremost a real body, or it would not qualify to be called a body. Body here means flesh and bones. So based on Jesus' spiritual body, 
It will look and act like a natural body, yet it will take on metaphysical nature that is beyond normal physical abilities. So there are a lot of verses, if you've looked at the way Jesus' body is, that gives us a glimpse of what our resurrected body will be like. And we see that Jesus, when he was on earth those 40 days in his resurrected body, he looked and acted like a normal body in a lot of ways, right? He would eat, he would drink, he would talk, he could see. So he had all the normal senses all our bodies have. Yet he took on supernatural abilities as well. You see the story when him on the road to Aramaeus, these guys, two disciples are just on the road to Aramaeus and boom, there you go. He just shows up, right? Jesus just shows up and like, wow, where's this guy come from? And he's walking with him and talking to him and then he shares with him about through the whole scriptures about the Messiah and then he goes in to have dinner with him and he breaks the bread and they're like, that's Jesus. And then they recognize him. And the next moment, where is he? Boom, he's gone. He's gone again. And then he appears at other places. And we know another story about that the disciples are locked in a house. They've locked it in because they're afraid of the Jews. And then who shows up? Well, in a locked house? Jesus. He all of a sudden shows up in a locked house, walking through walls somehow, and goes into the house. So I'm not sure if we have or we'll have exactly all those qualities. You know, that's Christ, and maybe he has some more, but it would be awesome to see that we have those kind of qualities. And the cool one for me is the last thing what Jesus does, what does he do? He ascends into heaven. So he can fly. Jesus can fly into heaven. A lot of people speculate that we'll be able to fly in heaven in a resurrected body. So just some kind of things to think about. And so I've kind of gone through, and I, and I pulled uh, from David Letterman here. I have my top ten reasons why I am looking forward to my resurrected body. All right, you guys ready? This is the early morning Sunday version instead of the late night version. My top ten reasons. Number ten, I will finally complete a marathon. And some of you guys know I tried to do a marathon. Woefully ended my demise, dishonor. Um, next, number nine, we'll be able to see without my glasses. All right? Everyone with your glasses, you're excited about that? No more glasses. No more going to the doctor. No more losing your glasses. You guys probably heard about my story. I lost my glasses in the bottom of Water Valley Lake. So, no more glasses. Next, I'll be able to play with my children without getting tired. You never keep up with those guys or play with the youth without getting tired. Number seven, travel around the world, right? Jesus could blink and there he was there and blink and there he was there. How many of you guys want to blink and be on the beach somewhere, right? Wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. Number six, not have to go to the doctor anymore. I don't know about you, and not pay health insurance. That's going to be the great part about it. No more doctor, no more health insurance. Looking forward to that. All right, number five. I'll be able to serve God without growing tired or getting burned out. That'll be awesome. Number four. There'll be peace. Right? There'll be true peace. Our body, our flesh will not be at war with our spirit anymore. Can I hear an amen for that? That'll be wonderful. Number three. I'll be able to see my daughter. And for those of you guys that have loved ones that you've lost, you'll be able to see them in heaven. 
And we'll have fulfilling relationships with them that won't be buried by sin anymore. No more arguments and no more fighting between it. It'll be perfect relationships that God designed us to have. Number two, I'll be able to worship God without the barrier of sin. I'll have that intimacy with God that we only get small moments and small glimpses of. I don't know for you, but it's so wonderful to be in prayer or to be worshiping God and be close to Him. But isn't it just moments on this earth? We only have brief times when we're close to God. In heaven, it'll be 24-7 intimacy and that closeness with God. I look forward to that. And most importantly, last, number one, I will see God. I will see the face of my Creator. I will see my Savior and my Lord. I'll be looking into His eyes. And He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lastly, last question. How can I get one? How can I get a resurrected body? Let's look at verses 45 through 49. Verse 45, it says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. first man is from earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born in the image of the earth, we also be born in the image of heaven. So this here is now comparing and contrasting. These verses compare and contrast the first man, Adam, with the last man, Christ. These verses tell us that Adam and Jesus are similar in that they both started a race of humans. Adam started the earthly race of humans. Jesus started the heavenly one. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Paul quotes from, he says, The first man, Adam, became a life-giving soul. Adam did not just have a glorified body, but he was created in the image of God. And it says in Genesis that it was good. See, God breathed life into the dust of the earth to create Adam and make him a life-giving soul. So I have a table up there, and it's comparing and contrasting Adam who was a life-giving soul, to Jesus, who will be the life-giving spirit. And so there's a lot of talk about the difference between soul and spirit. But kind of from my perspective from these verses is that everyone gets a soul. Believer, non-believer. Every human being is breathed a soul. God breathes a soul into every human being. But Jesus breathes life-giving spirit into those that put their faith in Him. So Jesus is the bearer of heaven, or the life-giving Spirit, into each one of us. Verse 46 points out that the spiritual is not first, but the natural and then the spiritual. So first Adam was natural, and then Christ was spiritual. And this is true for Christ Himself, that He came into the world, came from heaven, but He first came in as a baby in a manger. He came in this world natural. And then He, he died He was buried, and he was rose spiritual. And then the next is about the descendants. The body type that we have 
determines our descent. We are all sons and daughters of Adam. We are all descendants of the earthly body. And we all receive an earthly body that is under a curse and will one day perish. So to get a heavenly body, we must be born of heaven. And verse 49 concludes, it says, that just as we have been born the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. And just as we will exchange our earthly body for a heavenly body, so too will we exchange our earthly image for a heavenly image. Yet in order to do this, we must be born of heaven. So the question I ask is, how do you do that? How do you become born of heaven? Now in John chapter 3, we can see a glimpse into what that means. In John chapter 3, turn with me to John chapter 3. It's a story of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee, yet he was drawn by God. God was drawing him to himself. And he was drawn by Christ and his amazing signs. And they knew deep inside, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And see, he goes to Jesus at night and he talks to him and he asks him a bunch of questions. He wants to know what's going on. And Jesus cuts to the quick. He knows Nicodemus' heart and he hits it right away in verse 3. And look at verse 3. Jesus answers and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now this word born again is taken on a negative connotation in our society. But that is what Jesus is calling all those that have earthly bodies to be. He's calling them all to be born again. He's calling them to be born not of this earth, to be born of heaven. And so then he goes on to explain to Nicodemus how this can be. Nicodemus is confused. He's so wrapped up in the world. His mind is so fixed on earth and the earthly things. Jesus is pointing him to heaven and pointing him to heaven. He says, truly, in verse 5, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he continually is pointing him towards heaven. And then probably the most amazing verse of all is when he gets down to verse 15 he says so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and then verse 16 the culmination for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting eternal life see Jesus was pointing Nicodemus to the everlasting life. He was saying your body's going to perish unless you put your faith and trust in me who died on the cross for your sin, who did the payment, paid the payment for your sin so that you could experience eternal life. And it's not just in heaven that you'll experience it. You can experience eternal life. You can experience heaven right now on this earth. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. By putting your faith and trust in Christ, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift from heaven that will be implanted in our hearts because that is what we are created for. As I talked about last week, God has set eternity in our hearts. He has given us a longing for heaven. He has put a God-shaped hole in our hearts that long for heaven. That That vacuum can only be filled by the Holy Spirit. So that we will experience heaven on earth. 
and we'll be able to draw close to him here on earth. And that will be our guarantee stamp when we go to heaven. That we've not put any trust in our own works, any trust in our own deeds. And that whole, if you guys want to watch the Barbara Walter special, the majority of all those religions are putting all their hope in what they do on this earth to get them to heaven, on their own accomplishments and on their own deeds. They put no trust in God at all for it. Jesus says the total opposite. He said, put your trust in me and me alone for eternal life. Believe in me. Put your faith in me alone. That is your ticket to heaven. So if you're here today and you want to know how to get a resurrected body, that's the way you do it. You put your trust and faith completely in Christ alone. And you'll have a resurrected body. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your truth that you are doing an amazing thing that you can put together our body that is dying and decaying no matter if it's cremated nor it's spewn across the earth you can reassemble that (laughs) just amazes me but you are creator you created the heavens and the earth you created each one of us And what is it for us to think that you can't create a resurrected body? That our body will die and whatever it looks like, you can put it back together. And it will be continuity between this earth and in heaven. But it will be a body that is made and designed for heaven and not for earth. It will be a body that is made and designed to worship you with no barrier of sin. There'll be a body that's made and designed to be able to see you face to face. We'll have supernatural eyes that can actually see and peer into the face of God. Lord, I thank you for that. And I look forward to heaven. I look forward to the time when I will see you face to face. I look forward to the time when we can shed this old body deteriorating, to shed this body of weakness Shed this body of dishonor and we'll be able to exchange it for a body that is beautiful, that is glorified, that is made in your image. And we'll be able to worship you face to face and be able to be intimately connected with you. I thank you for that. I pray these things in your matchless name, Jesus. Amen.